Hey guys, this is Rocky, and you're listening to the God Loves Miami podcast. I want to welcome you to today's episode, and I also want to encourage you to follow us on social media at God Loves Miami on Instagram and Facebook so that you can find out all that we are about and what God is calling us to do in our city. And now here's Pastor Mark. The best thing about being a dad, though, is like seeing yourself in your kids. My son Joshua, the middle one, is he's just the way I was when I was a kid. He has a big mouth. He's always sticking his foot in his big mouth. He's always volunteering for stuff. And he's just like me. I mean, anything is like, I want to do it. I want to be first. I remember when I was about six years old, like him, um, I went to a birthday party at Willy Chirino's house. Anybody know who Willy Chirino is? Right? My, my dad, he's the Cuban Grammy Award winning guy, hero to all the people here in an exilio. And uh, that's my dad there uh, with Willie Chirino hanging out. And so we went to a party at his house, one of his kids' birthday parties. And I remember driving there, getting into Star Island, and just being like, wow, this is like Vizcaya, right? And, um, you know, I'm in his backyard, huge backyard, and everyone's playing around. And I'm just like looking around. And um, towards like the party I've been going out for a couple hours, and all the parents start getting all the kids together to the middle of this giant backyard on the water um, because there was a stage that was set up and uh, there was a magician that had just arrived and everybody's like muchacho kids come over here and so the magician starts to show one of the best magic shows I had ever seen I couldn't believe my eyes all the things that he was doing and then it was the grand finale he's like this is the grand finale I need a volunteer so guess who volunteered I'm like me me pick me pick me pick me so he picks me he brings me up on the stage and he has me pull a rabbit out of a hat and I know how it's done now all right and so um and then he I'm holding the rings and I'm doing all this stuff and then he goes all right are you ready I'm like yeah I'm ready he goes raise your hands as high as you can and so I'm raising my hands as high as I can and he gets these colorful handkerchiefs and he begins to put them in my pants all right and this was the 80s in the 80s you could like put stuff in other kids pants but you can't do that anymore All right. But and so he's putting like all these colorful handkerchiefs like all around my waist inside of my pants. And people are like, what's this guy doing? And uh, and I'm like, what's he doing? And I have my hands up in the air. I'm kind of freaking out. And then this music starts to play, you know, and he begins to pull the handkerchiefs out of my pants. And now they're like magically all tied together. And people are like cheering. And the music's going. and, And then he gets to like what appears to be the last handkerchief. And he's like. It's stuck and he's pulling the handkerchief and he's yanking it. And now the, the music is a little more intense and people are like, Dale, come on, pull, pull, pull. And, and I'm like, ah, and there's such a big commotion. All the parents start coming over. My parents start coming. Willie Chirino comes over and he's looking at what's going on. And then all of a sudden there's this big, bah, and he pulls the final handkerchief out from my pants and everybody's laughing and laughing and he's holding something up and now I go to look to see what he's holding up and he's holding up a pair of tidy whities right and people are laughing and I'm like oh my gosh and then I'm like getting a little embarrassed and then he turns it around and there is like a poop streak mark going right down the butt of this underwear and everyone's laughing and pointing at me and you could just imagine I couldn't contain myself I start to cry and I run away and I hide and for the rest of the night everybody's like Esa es muchacho. that's the kid with the poopy underwears and may I say like to uh save myself for some rare reason I don't know why for the first time ever I was wearing red tidy whities 
I don't know where they came from, maybe one of my cousins or something. But I'm like, no, look, mine are red. You know, but everybody would just laugh even more. Ha, 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 ha. And here's the worst part. My dad loved retelling the story, even into adulthood. I remember when I had gotten engaged with my wife, my dad would go, be careful with Maquito. He likes to poop in his pants, right? I hated the story because it reminded me of a time in my life that I felt horrible. It reminded me of a moment in my life when I felt that I was being picked on. I was singled out where I was made fun of when I felt rejected. We've all been there, right? We've all had moments in our life when we've been singled out, moments when people have laughed at us, spread rumors about us, moments when we've been the outcast, moments when we haven't been a part of the inner circle. Maybe at school, there was the cool kids, and then there was you, right? And it hurts. It hurts when you hear someone that you think is your friend say, oh, these are my best friends. These are my favorites. And you're like, what about me? Maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe it was your sister that was the favorite growing up or your brother that was the favorite. There's also been times when we have been the ones that have made people feel bad, when we have mistreated others, when we've spread rumors, when we've posted a picture of someone on social media because we know they look bad in the picture, right? Or have shown favoritism. The same way that it hurts us, it hurts others too. It's a horrible thing to feel rejected. It's also terrible to reject others, to show favoritism towards one group of people and alienate another group of people. This happens every day at schools all around the world, in offices all around the world, in neighborhoods, in basketball courts, on Facebook. And sadly, it happens all the time in church. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue through our series through the book of James. Today, we're going to be looking at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. James is going to teach us how to treat people right. And if you're brutally honest, you have to admit that your biggest problem, that my biggest problem, it's people problems. Most of our problems, it's people problems. Getting along with other people. Today, we're going to learn how to get along with people. Today, we're going to learn how God expects us to treat one another. So you're probably thinking, Pastor Mark, so I'm finally going to learn how to deal with my annoying uncle or my annoying sister or that smelly guy that sits next to me in the cubicle. Yep, James chapter two, verse one, it says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? See, whenever James starts a sentence, my dear brothers and sisters, prepárate, get ready because he's getting ready to nail you. Count on it. When he's talk, what he's talking about here is stop showing prejudice. Stop showing partiality. Stop favoring people. I love what the New English Bible calls it. It calls it snobbery. Don't be a snob. You know what a snob is? Someone like this, you know, who's like, has his nose up and is looking down at you. You know, we all know people like that, right? The Greek word here, it actually means to receive at face value. To receive somebody's face. To receive someone on how they look and specifically and superficially judge them based on that. James says, don't do that. Don't accept people on superficial judgments. Another translation says, never treat anybody different according to their outward appearance. However, this is just so common in our society now. It's actually a social disease. That's how we treat people based on what they look, on what they're wearing. Today, we're going to learn how to deal with this. But before we do that, we need to, what does favoritism mean? And I looked it up. I mean, I've always kind of known, I've always known, I'm sure it was a definition when I was like in, you know, fifth grade or whatever that I had to learn. But the, the dictionary says that favoritism is the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person 
or group at the expense of another. I, I, when I read that, as I'm preparing for this message, I'm thinking like, man, so when I say this is like my favorite person or my best friend, I'm actually saying that they're my best friend at the expense of someone else. See, There's four ways that we show favoritism. The first one is an appearance. We discriminate people because of the way that they look. Beauty is everything in our world, isn't it? I mean, it's in our magazines, it's on TV, it's on the internet. I mean, wherever we look, it's so important that everybody is just beautiful or what the world calls beautiful. If you're a cute kid, you got it made. Pero si eres feo, if you're ugly, tough luck, right? That's what the world says. We judge people on their appearance, how they look, how they dress. The second thing is ancestry. We judge people according to their race, their nationality, their ethnic background. I mean, I'm Cuban. I, I grew up in Miami, if, if you haven't guessed that yet. And um, uh, Cubans have this thing that they like picking on Puerto Ricans, right? Even if you're not Puerto Rican, if you make a mistake, what do they say? Oh, you're Boricua. You know, why is that? That's a terrible thing. And you know what? Some of my smartest friends are Puerto Rican. I mean, it doesn't, but every race, every ethnic group has another ethnic group that they like to pick on and they like to make fun of, all right? And, and it's not good. The third thing, achievement. Our society gushes over winners and losers, all right? We forget about the losers and we're just like, who are the winners? One minute you're a hero and the next minute you're a what? I mean, Miami saw it 2014 in the summer 2014 when LeBron said, I'm going back home. The, the, uh, Miami Heat Twitter account immediately lost 300 followers. Check out this. Apparently, the Miami Heat Twitter account has lost 300,000 followers since LeBron left. I mean, the guy left and people are like, I'm leaving too. All right. That's just what the world is about. It's like, who has achieved what? And those are the people that we're going to follow. The fourth thing is affluence. The most common distinction, we judge people by their wealth, whether they're rich or poor. What's their economic status? Come on, be honest. What's your attitude towards people who make more money than you? What's more attitude? What's your attitude towards people who make less money than you? This is the area that James actually picks out. See, of all the areas that we can discriminate, he talks about economic distinction. In this passage, we see here in verse 2, it says, For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another one comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor. Well, does, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? We're all guilty of this. Like two years ago, um, I, I had my, my two boys with me, and my mother-in-law was watching my daughter, Stella. And uh, my boys two years ago, they're like six and four or something like that. And uh, I had to pick up my wife from work, and it was like an hour and a half before she got out of work. And my boys are like, Poppy, get us a Happy Meal. Get us a Happy Meal. And I'm like, you know, your mom doesn't want you eating Happy Meals. They're like, come on, Poppy, get us a Happy Meal. I'm like, all right, let's go get Happy Meals. And so we go get Happy Meals, and then when we're in the line, they're like, can you get us Coke too? And I'm like, all right, I'll be a good dad. And I got him Coke. And, um, and so here I am driving the car, eating some French fries and, uh, and uh, drinking a, a Diet Coke. And that's not the joke yet. I haven't gotten to the joke. And uh, as, we're, as we're driving, I'm driving towards her job. And it's still like an hour before she gets out. I'm like, you know what? Why don't we stop and get some gum? And we could all be chewing gum when mommy gets here and we don't smell like McDonald's, right? And so we had just left McDonald's. I park. I got a great spot right at the door 
of the CVS by her job. And then I'm getting out of the car. And as I'm walking out of the car with the boys, there's this homeless guy sitting like right by the door begging for money. And I walk right by him like we usually do, right? We pretend they're not even there. And um, my son Caleb is like, Papi, I need to get something from the car. I'm like, oh, you always leave something in the car. And so our minivan has like a button you could press and the door opens. So I open the door. I'm standing right at the sidewalk. And he comes out with his Happy Meal. And he gives it to the homeless guy. And I'm like, I am such a loser, right? And I, I mean, I got choked up. And, uh, you know, I go in inside. And, and uh, you know, and I'm thinking about this whole thing. It's like, man, I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I'm a dad. And I'm such a terrible example of what a Christian should be. And then when we get in the car, he's like, Papi, I even gave him my Coke. And you know how much I wanted to drink that Coke. You see... There's three problems with favoritism. The first one is that favoritism is unchristian. If you want to be like Jesus, you can't play favorites. We just read it. James chapter 2 verse 1 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Faith and favoritism, they're incompatible. We're family, guys. This word favoritism is used in the Bible four times, and every other time it's referring to God, and it says God doesn't play favorites. I put it there in your outline, Romans 2.11. It says, for God does not show favoritism. Jesus treated everyone with dignity. They judged Jesus based on the people he hung out with, and they said, you hang out with the sinners. You're a friend of sinners. God loves everybody, and there's one place if there's one place in the world that there shouldn't be any type of discrimination, it ought to be the church. There's discrimination everywhere in the world, but there ought to be one place that no matter what your background is, you are welcome. The second thing is that favoritism, it's unreasonable. In verses 5 through 7, it says that it is illogical. It doesn't make sense. In the first place, he says, God chose the poor. Has not God chosen the poor to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom? He's not saying that it's good to be poor or bad to be rich. He's not saying that only the poor will be saved. See, everyone in this room compared to the majority of the world is rich. It doesn't make any difference to God. Aren't you glad that God doesn't check your wallet before he saves you? Aren't you glad that he doesn't check out your savings account and he bases your salvation on that? See, your value is not based on your valuables. Don't confuse your net worth with your self-worth. There's a big difference. See, it's illogical, he says. Don't confuse what you got with what you're worth. See, God chooses the poor. He doesn't expect them to be wealthy in order to be saved. On top of this, he says, the rich could care less about you. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, what's the big deal? Why does he keep talking about the rich and the poor, the rich and the poor? And we know that God doesn't look if you're rich or you're poor. It's because when he was speaking to these Christians in this time, it was the rich that were persecuting the Christians. It was the upper crust that were judging the Christians and throwing them into the lion's den. And James says, why are you so worried about impressing them? They're certainly not worried about impressing you. They're actually doing the opposite. You know why we kiss up to people that are wealthy or, or that have some type of status and are affluent? Why we cater to celebrities different than we cater to normal people? It's selfish. It's because we're hoping that they would do something for us. See, you don't have to know the men that hold the keys when you know the man that holds the keys. And that's Jesus Christ. And whatever door that you need open, whatever door that you need to go through, the only one that could open that door and keep it open is Jesus Christ. Not no man could do that for you. If he wants a door open, he will open it for you. See, he's always been opening and closing doors regardless of your network 
and your contacts. See, James says, don't show favoritism. It's unchristian. It's unreasonable. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. The third thing is that favoritism, it's unloving. See, the main reason that favoritism is unloving, and that's why you shouldn't do it, is because it hurts. It hurts when we're not the ones that are being favored. It hurts when we see people who we think are our friends and they're having fun without us, all right? You know, um, a couple years ago, I was like, I couldn't sleep, and I do what most of us do. We're like kind of searching through Instagram and whatever, looking at pictures and trying to fall asleep doing that stuff. And, and I see a picture of a bunch of my friends, and they're all hanging out, and they're all having fun. And that was like the post. It was like, oh, having fun with all my friends. And I'm looking, and I'm like, he's my friend. Oh, we're really good friends. I, I counseled him once. I helped this guy out. I mean, these are all my friends, and I'm not there. It hurts, right? It hurts when you're not included. James 2.8 says, Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal laws found in Scripture. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And why does he say that? You know why? You know who your favorite person is? You. It is. Right? It's very rare that, like, you know, there's, like, a rock that's falling from the sky, and you, like, stay there, and you get someone else. First of all, you cover your head, you get out of the way, or you kind of push someone like that, but you're your favorite person. That's why you look at yourself more than you look at anyone else. You stand in the mirror. How do I look? You know, I need a little more hairspray. We all do it. I did it this morning. All right? Why is it called the royal law? Because if we obey that one law, we wouldn't need the rest. All right? Because if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're not going to kill anyone. You're not going to lie to anyone. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to steal. You're not going to commit adultery. All right? Galatians 5 says this, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You obey this and you got it all covered. You live by this and you have it covered. If I play favorites, I'm being unloving. The Bible says that how I relate to other people shows how much I love God, how I treat other people. It's telling everyone how you love God, what your relationship is with God. 1 John 4.20 says this, if a man says he loves God and hates his brother, he's lying. How can you love God whom you haven't seen and you don't love your brother who you have seen? How I relate to you proves how much I love God. Favoritism is unloving. See, but few of us know how to love unconditionally. See, all we really know how to do is show favoritism. Check out what verse 9 says. James 2.9, it says, but if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. James is saying that people think that favoritism, it's not a big deal, that, that it's a small sin. But he says, if you break God's rule, you break all of God's rule. Be careful. It's serious. James 2, 10 through 11 says this, for the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone, but you don't commit adultery, you still broken the law. So what does this mean? I'm going to illustrate it for you. Let's say like, you know, a family, a husband and a wife and kids, they invite me over to dinner, right? And uh, I get to their house. I'm real excited. I show up empty-handed. I knock on the door. And when they knock on the door, hey, before I come in, I, I just want to tell you something. I really respect you a lot. I care about you a lot. And I'm going to show this to you by not committing adultery with your wife. And the guy begins to look at me like, why did we invite Mark to our house? However, all right, I care about you. I'm not going to commit adultery with your wife. But if at any point tonight you upset me, you take me off, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder you. Are you going to thank me for that? 
You know what he's going to do? He's going to slam the door, call 911, and say, get out of here. This guy's crazy. Some of you probably thought, what does God care if I'm partial to certain kinds of people? And God says, you know what? It's all the same thing. It's all important. James 2, 12 through 13 says, so whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. See, love treats people with mercy. Love gives people what they need, not what they deserve. Parents, we know that. How many times do our kids, like, you don't deserve this, but I love you, and that's why I'm giving it to you. James probably thinking of Jesus, his brother Jesus, on the Sermon of the Mount, when he said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. That's the problem. It's unchristian. It's unreasonable. It's unloving to show favoritism, to be a snob. And so the question that most of you guys are probably thinking right now, how does God expect me to treat people? The first way is he wants us to accept everybody. He wants us to accept everybody. Um, When I was a teenager, my family was part of like, a church that planted like a satellite church, like another church, like a sister church. And um, I remember we were so excited. It was like in a warehouse um, in Hialeah Gardens. And I lived in Hialeah Gardens at the time. And we were all excited about that. And in the 90s, there was like a lot of like gangs, right? Especially in that area, Lago Grande and all that was like bad. And, um, you know, the, we were praying uh, for, for, for the community and they were encouraging us to invite people to church, invite our neighbors to church. And, and um, you know, I was a teenager. I was probably like 13 years old. And, and I, I became friends with some of the gang bangers in my, in my area, the guys that were in gangs. And, and um, you know, uh, I wasn't in the gang, but I, I hung out with them and, and uh, played basketball with them. And, and when the time for this big party came up, um, I invited them to come to the church. And I was so excited. And it was similar to this. Like in the beginning of service, there's like music playing and stuff. And so it was that day. I'm standing outside in the parking lot. I hear the first song start. I'm looking for my friends. And they're not there. And, and, and I'm like, oh, the second song started. I'm just going to go in. They're not coming. And then I see them a couple of days later um, that week. And I'm like, hey, man, why didn't you guys come out? Man, you really should have come out. And they're like, oh, we actually did. We got there a little late. You know, sorry about that. But then when we got there, the guy at the door didn't let us in. Because he says we were wearing shorts, because we had tattoos, because our heads were shaved, because we had earrings on, and, you know, because we were gangsters, and we couldn't come into the church. That No gangsters could come into the church, and, and he told us to leave. And I'm like, oh, bro, I am so sorry, man. I'm really sorry. And then we hung out and laughed about it, and, ah, we didn't want to go anyways, you know, and kind of, like, laughed. You know, I'm glad he didn't let us in, you know, or something like that. And, and then when I went back to church, I talked to the guy at the door, and I'm like, dude, what is this, man? Isn't this why we're at church? Oh, no. I remember those kids. and They come to, to the house of God, and they have to come respectful. And they can't be looking like that. And this and that. And I'm like, man, that's, that's ridiculous. God came to save the people that were lost. You know, and uh, you know what? We have a hard time accepting others. Because we confuse acceptance with approval. There's a big difference between accepting someone and approving of their lifestyle. You can accept someone without approving their lifestyle. They may be doing something that's totally contrary to the word of God, but you can accept that person without approving of the sin that they are involved in. Romans 15 says this, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. You see, and that's what that guy at the door at church at that, that, that like Wednesday or Friday, whenever it was, he didn't understand that. 
And that's something that we, as the body of Christ, need to understand. The other thing we need to do is we need to appreciate everyone. This goes a a little bit further than acceptance. Philippians 2.35 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility considers other better than yourself. Not sometimes, all the time. Consider people better than you, even though we've admitted that we are a favorite person. Treat people as if they're better than you. Appreciate everyone. For some, it's, it's not that hard. You know, you could be like, you know what? Uh, you're, you're, you're gifted or you're talented, you know, and tell them that. Tell them that you accept them and that you appreciate them. For other people, it's going to require a little more creativity. I know there's some people that, that it's hard to appreciate, but you just appreciate them on being unique. All right, but appreciate everyone. It's going to change their life and it's going to change your life. The third thing is affirm everyone. See, everyone needs a little lift. Everybody. Man, there's days that, that when, when someone affirms us and says, hey, man, you know, you did a great job. Or, hey, you know what, man, you look great today. Hey, you know what, I really appreciate your friendship. Man, and you, you affirm someone and you lift them up. You have no idea the way that you will impact their life. First Thessalonians 5 says this, encourage one another and build each other up. When people stumble, don't criticize them. Sympathize. All right? It's so funny when someone makes a mistake and, and we all laugh. And it's just our nature. I do it all of the time. It doesn't mean that it's right. It means that we all need to work on this. I mean, I read this message, I don't know how many times, and I went through it, and it's like, God, you know, you picked this message for me, because I need to start living my life this way. I need to be a little bit more like this. We all need to be more like this. We need to be encouragers, not complainers. We all know people that, man, every time, you, there's people we don't want to talk to sometimes, because every time we talk to them, it's like Debbie Downer, wah, wah, right? You tell them something, and it's like, wah, wah. They're like, they're like you know, you can't tell them, hey, I have an idea. And they're like, oh, it's not going to work. It's like the first words that come out of their mouth, oh, it's not going to work. And they're always scared about everything. And they're always bringing you down and not lifting you up. They're being critical. They're being judgmental. You can imp- encourage people just by smiling at them. One of my favorite ministries is the people that deal in first impressions, like the greeters and the parking people and the ushers, because you have so much power to change someone's day, to change their encounter with God. You have no idea what people are going through. I have no idea what you guys are going through. And yet someone could walk to our parking lot and someone smiles at them. It's like, oh, wow, man, it's been a while since someone's just smiled at me for no reason. Someone walks in. And smiles, and you're like, wow, you know what? And we, we say this in all of our environments is that you only have one chance to give a good first impression. Only one chance. Someone might come to this church and leave and never come back because we didn't make a good impression. And it's not just about what happens in the stage, it's what happens in every single environment. And that's why it's so important that all of us are involved at some level with the ministry that's happening here. You know why? Because someone's eternity is based on you and how they interact with you. Wouldn't it be amazing if someone comes back to church because of the encounter that they had with you in the parking lot or in the children's ministry or in the elevator fair as they were walking in here? God has given us that ability. He's given us that responsibility to love people, to affirm people, to lift people up, to smile at people. What God is saying in James that the church that accepts and appreciates and affirms people is the church that God blesses. Absolutely nothing can stop a church that's full of love. 
nothing. But it doesn't happen accidentally. It requires an effort from all of us. Everybody needs to contribute to the atmosphere of the church. Everybody here contributes to the atmosphere of the church, negatively or positively. And I believe that God wants to do incredible things here in our church. But here's the thing. We can't expect people to act like believers who are not believers. We can't expect people to act like Christians if they're not Christians. See, greater love draws outside people in. I want our church to have a reputation of greater love. I believe that God is waiting for a church that is willing to love people unconditionally. That is what greater love is. He can use that kind of church to spark a spiritual awakening in this city that the forces of hell could not stop. It would change the climate of our community for Christ and nothing can stop a loving church. Amen? John 13, 35 says this, that your love for one another, how we treat people, how we treat each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not what you say. It's not what your status is. It's not the sticker on your car. It's the way you treat people. It's not the sermons that you preach at, at school or at church or the, or the Bible verses that you have memorized that will prove that you're a Christian, that you're a disciple of Christ. He's saying it real simple right here in the gospel of John. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. So you can memorize as much as you want. You could sing all the songs. You can dress, you know, the way that you think you need to dress to be a Christian. But if you don't love, you're not his disciple. You're not his followers. The same way that greater love has the power of changing the people that we love. Greater love, being loving, has the power to change you. It has the power to change us. You know, as I was writing this message, I found healing. And um, it was the craziest thing. Uh, as you can see, I'm, I'm very extroverted. I love people. I love being on stage. But whenever I'm at a party or whenever there's a game to be played, whenever there's karaoke, I never volunteer. And I never do it. And I've never understood it. I've always thought it's the weirdest thing. And my wife has always thought it's the weirdest thing. Like she always like wants to show me off whenever there's karaoke and she wants me to sing. And I'm like, no, I don't like karaoke. She says, what do you mean? You're a great singer. You sing in front of people. There's like 10 people here. Just think I'm like, no. And as I'm writing this message and I wrote the introduction to my message, I put my finger on it. And it was that party at Willie Chirino's house when everybody made fun of me. And I was on that stage and I volunteered You know what, the very same way that I've been carrying this, I mean, I started crying in my office upstairs as I'm writing this, and it's not even like a super spiritual thing, but I put my finger on it. I hate games. I don't play any games. My kids are like, Dad, let's play a game. Let's play Monopoly or let's play charades. And I'm like, no, I don't like games. I'm so sorry. And I feel terrible, but it's like a psychological thing that I had a breakthrough. So praise the Lord. All right. And I've been carrying this thing around me for my entire life. Who wants to sing karaoke? I'm ready. All right. My entire life, I've been carrying this thing with me in the same way I've been carrying this thing with me. I just discovered like five days ago, sitting in my office upstairs, we are carrying things in our life today because of the way that someone treated us, what someone said to us. Man, maybe it was your parent. Maybe it was in school. Maybe it was at work. Maybe it was when you got rejected, when you felt that you were alienated and they like totally rejected you and said, you can't be a part of us. 
And that thing is causing you to be unloving. That thing is causing you to treat people different. And that thing is killing you on the inside. And I believe that today God wants to set you free from that. He wants us to love because he wants us to be full of love. The only way that you can give something is if you're full of something. But sometimes we can't treat people the way that God wants us to treat them is because we got to fix what's on the inside first. God's love wants to set you free today, church. And God's love wants to fill your heart and fill your life so that we can leave these doors here and leave this building and love the world and fill the world with love. And then our church is going to be full of people that need more love. And we're going to be a loving community that accepts everyone, even if we don't approve of the way that they're living. We don't approve of the way that they look and the things that they do and the decisions that they make. But when they see us, they see the love of Christ. All right. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a sinner next to him. And what did he say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, oh, but you committed a sin. You're a thief. You're a crook. You're a liar. You're a cheater. He said, today, you will be with me in paradise. That's love, guys. And so as the band sings, if you're here today and you need God to fill you with his love and heal you of your pain and give you a fresh start, I'm going to invite you to come forward and I'm going to pray with you. Are you ready? Are you ready for God to do a work in your life today? Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's just a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, if this podcast has ministered to you and you would like to help us continue reaching people that need to be inspired by the word of God, please consider making a donation at GodLovesMiami.com. That's GodLovesMiami.com. And we'll see you next time on the God Loves Miami podcast.